You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Good morning, church. We're excited that you joined us. I hope you had power last night. I heard there was a lot of power outage, but uh, we're excited that you're here with us this Memorial Day weekend. And so I want to invite you to get your Bibles out. We're in a series on the book of Acts, talking about the unstoppable force of the gospel. So we're going to be in Acts chapter two this morning. So if you don't know me, my name is Landon Reynolds and I'm the student pastor here. And uh, I've been on staff, in two weeks, I'll have been on staff here for three years. And uh, I, I just love being a part of this church. I love uh, being, getting to work with our students, our sixth through 12th grade, and uh, getting to be here with you all on a part of this community each and every Sunday. If uh, uh, I, you know, I've been here since I was 20 years old. And uh, if you don't know much about me, I'm, I'm married. I've been married for two and a half of those years to my wife, Leanna. And, uh, and I'll, I'll just be, in the spirit of full disclosure, up front this morning, we have marriage issues. I mean, we, we really do. We have some irreconcilable differences in our marriage. And this week, we rehashed it again. Uh, she likes Walmart. Um, and that's just, I, I hate Walmart. I, I just, I absolutely hate going to Walmart. Now, she loves Target too, but I am 1,000% not a Walmart person, okay? Now, I have nothing personal against Walmart. If, 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 if you like Walmart, I love you. I, I just don't like going to Walmart. It's just not my favorite place in the world to go. Would I, would I have anybody in here who, I, who would identify as a Target person? Like you are Target through and through. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you for the rest of your days. All right? And, and here's why I don't like Walmart. Like I said, it's nothing personal. Um, I like Walmart because I believe like when you go shopping at the store, it should be a certain way. And, and like, like, for example, I believe that I don't, be, I just don't believe that a, a store should be like loud. And I don't, I don't like the, I just love how Target is, is quiet and calm. And, and in fact, I, I, I really don't care if you have that, that just um, incredible amount of savings. I believe a store should be really, really organized. And, and so if I need something, I will go to the aisle and find it. I don't need this big Mohawked set up in the middle of the aisle that I got to go around and people are running to to get sales and you're like having to get through the narrow lane and you're trying to get around with your buggy. It just stresses me out. In fact, I, I, really, I, I really like Target because I believe that when you go shopping, you should start out with a good cup of Starbucks coffee, okay? I don't care about McDonald's or Subway. Like, it's just not my thing. Like, I believe that, that Target is the best place. And, and when, when we got married, I believed that Kroger was the best place to grocery shop, okay? And I, that's just where my parents grocery shop. We would go every Sunday after church. I'd get a free cookie. I was a happy man, okay? And, and so, but then I started looking at our budget. And I started seeing that I believe we're spending a little too much money. And so now me and my wife, we came back together. And, uh, and we, we, had, we reconciled our differences, and we are now both Aldi people. Anybody, any, any Aldi moms in here? Okay, absolutely. Okay, and, and, and here's the deal. There's nothing against Kroger, nothing against, you know, Walmart. If you work at Walmart, I love you. I would love to meet you at a, and have coffee with you at a Starbucks inside of a Target. Um, and I, I, it's great, but, but here's, what, here's, here's what I know. Okay, I make decisions based upon what I believe, okay? 
And I think we all do this. We all make decisions based upon what we believe. Like if you believe the number one factor in finding a place to live is convenience, you will make the decision to live closer to the city, to live near the mall, to live near the restaurants, the grocery store, the gas station. But if you believe that the number one factor in finding a place to live is living, you know, in a calm environment, you will live out in the, by the lake, in the mountains, in the country. Like you're the type of person who you want to walk to your mailbox and you don't want to talk to anyone. Like you want distance in between your house, okay? Or maybe you're the type of person who believes a summer vacation should be at a theme park, okay? And you should go ride the rides and wait in the line and go get the cotton candy and the churros and all the things that come with theme parks, some of you all, that's giving you a panic attack thinking about it this morning, okay? Like, because you want to go to the beach. You want to go read a book. You want to go plop down by the pool and be done. That's your vacation. I feel that. Some of you ladies in this room believe the number one factor in finding, some, uh, finding a man, finding someone to marry is that he is fun and cute. And some of you believe the number one factor should be that he has a job. See, we all make decisions based upon what we believe, and we do this with our faith as well. Like if, if you believe that spending time with Jesus in God's word is the most important part of your day, then you will make the decision to get up before the kids or before work, get up early and spend that time with God. If you believe that, um, if you believe that communication is important to have a godly marriage, then you will make the decision to put down the phone at night, quit scrolling through Facebook, and spend some time with your husband or your wife. If if you believe that saving money for your future so that you can give to your church and you can help send people like the people who are up here on stage, you can help send them across the world to to make disciples of all nations. And you believe that saving that money is key for your spiritual future, but also your future as a family, then you make the decision to not go out to eat every day. If you believe that honoring God sexually with your body is important, then you make the decision to delete the person's contacts and get off the social media that's tempting you. See, and here, here's what we all live with. Like if you believe that Target is better than Walmart, you always make the decision to go to Target, just about every time. If you believe that, that Starbucks has better coffee than Vienna, you'll always make the decision to get on your mobile app and order it as you drive by it. You won't make the decision to go to somewhere else. If you believe that Zaxby's is better than Chick-fil-A and God rest your soul, all right, you, you will make the decision to go to Zaxby's instead of Chick-fil-A. And we, when it comes to these physical things, we make decisions based upon what we believe pretty easily. But when it comes to our spiritual, we believe all these things. We believe what God's word says. So why do we find ourselves making the wrong decisions so often? Why do we say we believe something and make the wrong decisions when it comes to our faith? And here's what I believe. I believe that in order to change your decisions, in order to live a life that honors God, there's one core belief that you need to change. And if you'll lean in today and listen, and listen to God's word as we read in Acts 2, you'll figure out what that one belief is and make that change. So if you have your Bibles, get them out to Acts 2. 
And if you remember last week in Acts chapter 1, Pastor Brandt uh, preached an awesome message on Acts chapter 1. Uh, I, I want to encourage you, if you missed it, like we're going to be going through Acts, the chapters each week. Uh, if you missed it, go, go back online, foothillschurch.com, and, uh, t- and catch that message. Uh, watch it on our app. You can listen to it on our podcast. You don't want to miss that message because it really is the groundwork for everything we're going to talk about in the rest of the book of Acts. And so, but in Acts chapter 1, this is part 2 of the, of, uh, the, the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. And Jesus has, is now with his disciples. He's already been crucified. He's already been laid in, in his tomb and he's rose again. He's appeared to different people and he's now speaking to his disciples and he's about to ascend into heaven. And he says what Pastor Brant said was the theme verse of this entire chapter. And that's Acts 1.8. And it says this, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, okay? So at this point in time, like we as believers, we have the Holy Spirit. When we're saved, the Holy Spirit comes inside of our hearts and stays with us, okay? But at this time, they were in the middle because in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit did not dwell in believers like they do today, okay? And so they are waiting for this power, They're waiting for this Holy Spirit miracle to happen because they just watched their rabbi, their teacher, their friend rise from the grave and they want to go tell the whole world about it. They want to go make disciples of all nations and and they know that they're going to be going to some dangerous places. They know that they're going to they're going to need something. They're like Jesus just left them. They need the power to be able to take that gospel to the ends of the earth. That's why Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will send you a helper. And that helper is the Holy Spirit. It is the power. It is the reason why these four ladies up here are going. It is what, it is what empowers a 20, 21-year-old girl to go to North Africa amongst a dangerous Muslim country. That is what encourages them and empowers them to do that. And they're waiting on this. They know they have a mission and they're waiting. And during this time of waiting, there's a festival going on called Pentecost. Okay, and Pentecost is, uh, it's essentially where, you know, all these Jews would come to Jerusalem. It was in between the, uh, these two really big harvests of barley and the harvest of wheat. And this big Pentecost festival would happen and thousands and thousands of Jews would come to Jerusalem. The only way I can think about, uh, like how to put this in modern day words is like, think of like the Olympics. Like everybody comes to this one city for the Olympics. Or think of like Mardi Gras. Everybody goes down to New Orleans uh, to be in this one city. And so Pentecost is happening. Now the disciples are there around with about a hundred other people, a hundred or so other people. And they're in this open area. And they're waiting for this promise that was seen in Acts 1 to happen. They're waiting. They know he's about to send this Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, in the beginning of Acts 2, a miracle happens. And they said there's a sound like a great, mighty, rushing wind that happens. Now, remember, they're in an open area. They're in an open area here. And so this huge sound happens. And people are like, what's going on over there? And so people just kind of start walking around to see what's going on. And they start going in to, to see this happen. And then another miracle happens. There is tongues as of fire appear. And the disciples begin speaking in these other languages. Now, that's a, that's, you know, that's a really like, everybody wants to talk about that passage. Like, what does that mean, speaking in tongues? Like, what, what, what does that mean for us? Well, what we do know, without addressing every other passage in Scripture, 
What we do know is that in this passage specifically, what starts happening is that they begin to speak in other known languages. They don't just begin to do this angelic voice or, or this, you know, just, just mumbling of different sounds or, or whatever you maybe think tongues is. But what we do know is here in Acts chapter 2, they begin to speak other known languages as if I just began to just start speaking fluent Spanish to you all. And you're like, oh, I didn't know Landon knew how to speak Spanish. Or, you know, if I just begin to speak fluent Greek or fluent Hebrew, and I've taken two semesters of both, and I can't say like three or four words in it, okay? But, but like, that's, that's the kind of miracle that was happening. It says tongues as of fire. And we don't really know exactly how that looked. We don't know if their tongues caught on fire, if there was like fire emojis dropping from the sky. Like, but what we do know is that they're speaking another known language, and people start piling in from all these different places, trying to figure out what's going on, what is happening here. And they begin to think that they're drunk because they're just going off in all these different languages and, and they're like, oh, these guys got to be drunk. Well, Peter, he sees the situation. Remember Peter, Peter's the guy, he, uh, he denied Jesus three times about a month and a half or so ago. He denied Jesus and uh, he was one of his disciples, one of his most beloved disciples, and he denied Jesus. And now he gets up to preach. Man, if you think you're too far gone, look at Peter's life. So he begins to get up and preach. He begins to get up and preach, and he says this, and we're going to start today's text in verse 14. And we're going to kind of skip around through Acts chapter 2, so stay with me. It'll be on screen as well. So it says this in Acts chapter 2, verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. He's like, man, it's not even noon. It's not even lunchtime. They're not drunk. And, and, and so he, he begins to recite verses from the prophet Joel. Okay? So you've got to think, this is a Jewish audience. Now, for those of you who may be new to church, the Old Testament was held very, very sacred to the Jews. In the New Testament, though we, we as Christians still believe the Old Testament is God's inspired word, we hold to the New Testament as well. The Jews would have known the Old Testament very well, and they would have known exactly who the prophet Joel was. And he begins to reference the prophet Joel when he speaks, a day, speaks of a day that the Spirit would be poured out, and all these miracles would begin happening. And so you got to think they are, you know, they think that these, these disciples are crazy drunks. And he begins to recite Joel to prove that what is happening today is of God. And then he ends by reciting Joel in verse 21. And it says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, a little bit of history here. In, in, the, in the Bible, we see kind of two sects. We see the Jews and the Gentiles. Now, the Jews were the ones who followed the law. They worshiped Yahweh. And the Gentiles were pretty much everyone else, okay? And the Jews, they have been enslaved by the Gentiles. They've been ruled by the Gentiles for hundreds of years. I mean, it started with the Egyptians and then the Assyrians and then the Babylonians and the Persians and the Greeks. And now, as, as Peter is speaking, they're under Roman rule, those who are in Jerusalem. 
And so they hate the Gentiles. They think that they're dogs. I mean, they do not like the Gentiles because they're the ones who are evildoers. They're the ones who are, who are worshiping pagan gods. They're the ones who are in sin. And we're the ones who've constructed the temple. We're the ones who have a priest to go before God to, to give penance for our sins. And, and we are God's chosen people. And the Gentiles? But then Peter gets up and he says, but on this day when the Holy Spirit comes, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You can imagine how offensive this was. Because now everyone, he's saying everyone, that God's about to do something with everyone to all nations will be saved. And if you think that was offensive, keep going. We're in verse 22. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. Okay, pause right there. As you yourselves know, pause right there for a moment. Okay, he's saying, listen up. You remember that Jesus of Nazareth guy? I mean, the guy you thought was a lunatic? The guy that you put on the cross about, you know, a month and a half, two months ago? The guy that hung over there that the Romans crucified, but because you did an unjust trial at night with, with the high priest? You, you, you remember that? Well, well, God attested to him because he, he did my, many signs, many wonders. I mean, he healed the sick. He raised the dead. I mean, he did all, I mean, he did all these different miracles in your midst, as you yourselves know. And this Jesus, verse 23, delivered up to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. That's important. That the Jews thought it was their plan to kill Jesus. But Peter says, no, 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 no. This was the definite plan of God that Jesus be crucified. And he says, you crucified him. You killed him by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up from the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Wow. What a powerful verse. But this is not a way to draw a crowd in the middle of Pentecost. Because what he's saying is he's saying, listen, God sent the Messiah that you've been waiting for for hundreds of years and you got your blessing, but you didn't know what to do with it when you got it. And you killed him. You crucified him. You put him on the cross. You were the ones who put, did the trial. You shouted crucifying. He is offending everyone. And then he goes on, he kind of continues to repeat himself by, by citing King David, who is even more held dear than the prophet Joel. And he says in verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this whom you crucified. If I was Peter, this is where I dropped the mic. Because I'm like... <laughs> I'm like, you, you all think you're good? You've, you've been waiting for Jesus for so, you've been waiting for the Messiah for so long? Well, you got him and you put him on a cross. You've been waiting. You crucified him. I mean, he is in their face calling them out and he's boldly saying that you were the ones, you who thought you were good before God, you were the ones who crucified him. And in verse 37, it says, now when they heard this, they were, what would you fill in the blank with. I mean, let's think for a moment. I mean, would you feel it in angry, 
infuriated, ticked off, ready to crucify Peter just like they did Jesus. I mean, you think that you're good. You, you think that you, you, you follow God. And then this guy who says, no, 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 you don't have to just, if you don't believe in me, you're not believing in God, believe in me and believe in him also. Like, like what are you talking about? Like, I did the right thing. Now I'm angry. Why are you telling me this? Why are you in my face calling me out? Why are you offending me? See, the Jews at this time had this default belief. And it's this, that I am morally good before God because I am a Jew. Therefore, the Jews believed they were good before God. So when this guy shows up saying, no, you gotta believe in me, they made a decision to crucify him. Because you make decisions based upon what you believe. And so Peter gets up and, and when he's preaching the gospel, and this is the most important part of any time we gather is the gospel, is remembering what Jesus has done. Peter, when he gets up and he says, listen, there's this man, Jesus of Nazareth, and he, he came and he did all these loving things, and he loves you so much, but you killed him. But it wasn't just your plan, it was God's plan so that you might be saved. Just like he's planned from the beginning of time, he gets up and begins to share this gospel that you are a sinner, that you're not good, but that's okay because Jesus died for you and he rose from the grave. And he begins to, to insert this new belief into their life that you are a sinner because you killed the son of God. And if you're wondering what was in the blank in verse 37, it says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Look at those words cut to the heart. You know what that is? That's a belief change. They were cut to the heart. And that's the Holy Spirit's work. The Holy Spirit is working to convict hearts here in Jerusalem during Pentecost. He's working right now in this room to change your beliefs. They had this default belief that they were morally good, but Peter gets up and says, no, 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 you're not good because you killed God. You killed the Son of God. They had a belief change in their heart, and they come to the conclusion, Peter, apostles, what shall we do? Decision. Belief, then decision. They had no idea what to do now because they believed something different. See, we make decisions based upon what we believe. Therefore, they had this whole new set of decisions to make now that they had heard the gospel. And here's my bottom line today. And it's what, what each and every one of us need to know, whether, you've been, whether you're unsaved and you just showed up here this morning and we're so glad that you're here, or whether you've been a saint for 60 years. The gospel demands a decision. Every time we hear the gospel preached, it demands a decision. And here's why. Because you and I have the same default belief as well. You have the same default belief, the same as I do, that I wake up with every morning, this default belief that I am morally good because I, you fill in the blank, because I go to church. So I show up here every week, I'm good morally good before God. I do, my, I do my church thing and then I go do my other things. I do the work thing and I do the family thing. But I am good before God because I, I mean, I serve in Kid Street. 
I serve in student ministry. I serve as a hospitality. I, I, I even serve in missions. I, I give to the church. I even automate my giving. I am good before God. I am morally good before God because, because I mean, have you seen those other people? Have you seen the way they sin? I mean, they look nothing like me. Have you heard those other moms, the way they talk about their husband? I don't talk about my husband like that in public. I mean, you, you. so what is, what are you filling that blank with? I'm morally good because I'm not near as bad as other people. And if you're morally good before God, then why do you need to make a decision to forgive? Why do you need to make a decision to, to find accountability for an issue in your life? Why do you need to be in a small group? Why do you need to come each week and submit yourself to God's word? Why do you need to, why do you need to worship? Why do you need to do anything? If you're morally good before God, you don't, need a, you don't need a cross to forgive you or a spirit to empower you if you're, not more, if you're morally good before God. We don't need to make those decisions. That's why when Peter stands up and he says, you killed Jesus, you're not morally good. You're not okay. You're not a good person. You killed him. I mean, do you think that everyone in the crowd was actually there at the trial? No, because Jews had came from miles around. So not everybody who stood in that crowd that he was preaching to had literally in bodily form been the one who said, crucify Jesus, or the one to, to murmur and say, hey, we should send that guy to a trial. They were all there at the trial. But what he's saying, it is that you killed Jesus because you are a sinner. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We all are sinners. Every pastor on our staff, every staff member here, every small group leader, every leader, we're all sinners. We all have this innate desire to do exactly what God's word says not to. And he comes in and, and we have this default belief that we are good, but the new belief that we need to grasp and take hold of is that I am a sinner because my sin killed the son of God. And that's okay because we don't have to be good because Jesus came and he was good on our behalf. He did everything perfectly and he died for us. That's the gospel, that we are sinners, that our sin sent Jesus to the cross, but Jesus died in our place and we need to be forgiven. That's why we make wrong decisions. It's not because we just don't try hard enough, don't just try to get it done. Well, it's because at the core, we don't believe the gospel. So quit worrying about your decisions and start believing the gospel. That is the one change you will need to make and all the right decisions will follow. It is that out of that daily belief, when you wake up in the morning, you say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm not good. I know, Lord, without you, my default is going to be to not, not act like I need you. My default belief, Lord, today is going to be that, that I'm good. But when you wake up with the default belief that I'm a sinner because my sin killed the Son of God, you run to God for his grace. You run to God for his presence in your life. You run to God for his strength. You run to God for the Holy Spirit to empower you to make the decisions that you need to honor God daily. It starts with that belief. It starts with believing the gospel because the gospel demands a decision. So the men asked Peter, now that we believe, what shall we do? And this is exactly what we need to do too. So in verse 38, it says, and Peter said to them, repent 
and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So as you're looking at the verse, the first thing that he says is repent. Now, this is a, you know, this is kind of a church word that we say a lot in, in church. And, and maybe you, you don't use that word a ton, but just so everybody's on the same page. Repentance is turning from your sin and running towards God. Another definition of repentance is to change one's mind. And so when you repent, you turn from your sin, you turn from your old beliefs, you change your mind about your old belief that you're good, and you start believing, you change your mind to start believing that you're not good, you're in fact a sinner, but that you need God who died for you. And see, every time we sin, we need to repent. Repentance is not one thing that you do on some day at a youth retreat in high school. Repentance is something we wake up and we daily do. Every time we sin, every time we lust, every time we speak of somebody in an ungodly way, every time we go to that place we know that God's not calling us to, every time we are prideful, we need to repent of our sin. It doesn't matter what your spiritual heritage is like. If, if, if your dad was an elder and your mom was a Sunday school teacher and you were pretty much just born in the church, you need to repent daily. It doesn't matter if you were born in a bar and your, your mom was a drunk and your dad left you. And it doesn't matter what happens, you need to repent daily. It doesn't matter if you're not saved today or you've been a saint for 50 plus years. We need to repent daily of our sin because our default belief is that we are good. And some of you today, you need to give your life to Christ and you need to return from your sin for the first time. And you've never asked God for forgiveness. And this morning may be that day. Because yes, you and I crucified him. But it was God's plan so that he could die for us. The second thing he says is be baptized. Number two is we need to, we need to be baptized. Baptism is identifying yourself with Christ. Okay, It's a symbol of of identifying yourself with Christ. And so just as Christ died and came to new life, we also go under the water signifying that we have died to our sin and we've rose again to live a new life. It doesn't save you, but it is identifying yourself with Christ. Now, there's some of you today, I mean, if you notice the sequence here, it's repent and be baptized. There's some of you here today is, is you maybe had a spiritual you know, you know, experience or something as, as a child and, and you were baptized, but you've never, you never gave your life to Christ until you were in high school or you were in your adult age. Well, the Bible says that you need to repent first and then be baptized. And so the decision that you may need to make today is to have a believer's baptism, is to, is to go back to our care and prayer room and say, today's my day. I need to make the decision to be baptized and identify myself with Christ. But some of us, we've been baptized, but we don't identify ourselves with Christ. But there's times in our day, in our work, or, or where we go, that, that we don't identify ourselves with Christ. Well, then we need to go back to the repentance part, and repent of our sin, because the gospel demands a decision. And the third thing that Peter says that everybody in his crowd needed to do was we all need to go on mission. Now, you don't see that in, directly in verse 38, but as you read on in verse 39, it says this. Now, when they hurt, I'm sorry, in, uh, yeah, 39. For the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, everyone 
to whom the Lord God calls to himself. See, listen, the promise is for you, your children, and everyone who is far off. So salvation is for you, but it's not just for you. It's for your kids. It's for your babies. It's for the unborn. It's for the kids who are in Maryville High School, the students. It's for those in William Blunt. It's for all of your children. It's for the next generation. That's why we as a church are passionate about the next generation. But it's also for those who are far off. Those of us, those in our city who, who have never donned the doors of a church, those who are in North Africa, those who are in unreached people groups to the ends of the earth. That is what salvation is for. And the only logical decision to hearing the gospel is one to tell others about it. And so where are you serving? Where are you going? Charles Spurgeon said that every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Where are you going? Somebody's waiting on you to serve. Somebody needs you to serve. Where are you serving? Some of you have been a, you've been a partner here for months. And you haven't jumped in serving. Man, we want you to jump in. We all need to go on mission. So do you believe the gospel? Because the gospel demands a decision from each and every one of us. So do you believe the gospel? And what is the decision you need to make today? I want everybody to identify that. So my wife, she uh, decided we were going to try to use this alarm clock, okay? And this is not the clock that they gave me to make sure I get off stage on time. Uh, this, is, uh, this is the uh, alarm clock that we got. And I grew up in the iPhone era of alarm clocks, okay? So my, uh, my alarm clock likes to wake me up with soft birds chirping and, uh, and then get progressively louder. And I wake up, I'm like, oh, it's a great day, okay? Uh, this thing does not allow me to do that, okay? Okay. Um, this thing is just uh, absolutely awful. Uh, it will, um, when you hit it. So one morning we decide to use that, and that goes off. I have just an all-out panic. I'm like, what is going on? The, our dog's sleeping at the foot of the bed, and he's barking. I'm like swinging my arms trying to hit the snooze, and, and I'm just freaking out because this thing was at, like fireworks were in my pillow. Okay, and, and it, I was in a complete panic. But one thing I've learned, learned about an alarm clock is when that alarm clock goes off every morning, whether you're on an iPhone or one of these terrible things, you embark on the greatest spiritual battle of your day. Why? Because when that clock goes off, you get to choose what you believe. You get to wake up and choose whether you believe that you are morally good before God or that you are a sinner who killed the Son of God, whose sin killed the Son of God and needs His grace and power and spirit in your life today. And the enemy knows if he can get you to hit snooze 20 times so you never get up and read this Bible, 
He knows that if he can convince you, oh, it's fine, just kind of fit it in during the middle of the day. You don't really need God, you're good. I mean, you went to church yesterday, Monday morning, you just need to wake up and get to work. You need to be productive today. Like the enemy knows if he can think, get you to think that you are morally good, then he will convince you that you don't need Jesus today. The greatest spiritual battle in your life happens every day when that alarm clock goes off. He wants you to think every day that you are morally good because if you are morally good, you don't need Jesus. And if you want to stop making the wrong spiritual decisions in your life that leave you empty, that leave you thirsty, that leave you wanting more, that leave you stuck in sin, you need to change that one belief Stop believing that you are good and start believing that only Jesus is good. That is the gospel. That's the battle we embark on. And that's the decision that we have to make. So what is your decision today? What decision do you need to make? As you hear today, let me speak about serving somewhere and going on mission with God. Some of you, you've been fighting it. You've been fighting it. You've been giving excuse after excuse. Today, you need to make the decision to serve. You need to, at the end of this service, you need to go out these doors and go to our Connect Center and say, hey, I'm ready to jump on the team. I'm ready to get in the game. Some of you today, you need to be baptized. You need to make that decision that it's time for me to sign up to be baptized. You Maybe you were, you were christened or sprinkled as a child and, 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 and the Bible clearly says that you need to be baptized. You need to be dunked under the water to identify yourself with Christ now that you're saved. You need to make that decision. Some of you today, you need to repent of some sin. And when we sing this next song, you need to get up out of your chair and just get before God and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I've sinned against you. Some of you today, you need to make the decision for the first time to give your life to Christ. That you need to quit looking at all these different decisions in your life and you need to change the one belief. And you need to believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. That's where decisions start. It starts with belief. You need to make that belief change that you are not good and that's okay because Jesus came for people. He came for us. He came for the ungodly. He came for those who were not good and know it and he saves them to not make them good, but make them righteous. Maybe today's your day. So what is your decision? Would you bow your head with me? Say, Landon, today I think I'm, I maybe need to make the decision to give my life to Christ and believe in Him for salvation. And today I need to be saved. And I want to talk with somebody 
about what that means. Now, I know today is the day I need to give my life to Christ. And here's the, well, I'm not gonna make you get up. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make you come down forward. I just wanna know if that's you, if that's what God's speaking to you right now. If you know you need to make that decision. If you know you need to make that decision, would you just look up at me? If you just look up at me and continue to look. Those of you who are looking up, at the end of our service in the back is what we call our care and prayer room. And our care and prayer room is a place that people are here to talk with you this morning about this decision. Don't leave here without going to that room and speaking with someone who can lead you to Christ. For some of you today, you know that you need to make the decision to be baptized. And you need to sign up to be baptized over the next couple weeks here at Foothills. And you need to make that decision. Some of you need to make the decision to serve. And whatever that decision is for you this morning, I pray that you would decide. For those of you who want to be baptized, the same is true. We want you to go to that care and prayer room in the back. For those of you who want to begin serving somewhere, to go on mission with God, go to the, care, or the Connect Center on the way out in the lobby. And for all of us, we have some decision to make, some sin that we need to repent of because the gospel demands a decision. God did not save you so you could sit here and listen. He saved you so you could make a decision. Let me pray for you all. Father, we, we just pray for everybody in this room that you are, you are working on. Just you're working in their heart. God, I pray that the person who needs to make a decision to follow you for the first time today would not stay in their seat, would not just go home and go to lunch or go to the lake or whatever they plan to do today. I pray they would go to that care and prayer room. I pray for, for the people who need to be baptized the same. Give them that boldness. And I pray for everybody in here who believes in you but is struggling. I pray that they would believe that core belief that they are a sinner and run to you for their strength. God, would you do that as we sing, as we worship, as we pray. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.